following the two introductory psalms, that's the first and second psalms in the book of Psalms, we come then to Psalm 3. And part of the beauty of this wonderful book is that it, in all the experiences that's in the book of Psalms, which the believer may encounter, they're all to be found here. And this psalm, which we have before us, is no exception. In this psalm, as we can perhaps see from its heading, David, having faced a life-threatening time, relates his experiences and comfort. And although we may not experience the same danger as David, yet the general principles which we have in this psalm apply to believers in any time of trial. In many ways, this psalm is the first of many. It's the first, as it were, of the psalms after the introductory psalms. It's the first of the psalms which has a title. And as we can see, the title in this case is from the Psalm of David. It's also in the first of the psalms where we come across that just a word, Selah, or pause, as we'll come and find time and again. So in many ways, it's a pacemaker, as it were, paving the way through these psalms. So this psalm then has this title. We see it's from David, and it says it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And this psalm then has a particular historical background. And if we were to go to the second book of Samuel, chapters 15 and 16, there we find recorded for us the history which is the background for this particular psalm. What happened essentially was Absalom, one of his sons, David's sons, after a period of time during which he stole the hearts of the men of Israel, was proclaimed king in Hebron, whilst David, his father, was still on the throne. And what we read is that Absalom's numbers increased, and the result was that this was a grave threat against David. If I turn just to 2 Samuel 15, just a few verses there, we read this. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out, and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house." David then was in grave danger because Absalom wanted his head. And so we come then to the psalm to consider it. And it divides neatly, as it were, into four sections, each of two verses. And look at the first two verses. I'll read them again. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And I've entitled this section, Looking at the Problem. Looking at the Problem. 
David does not understand his problem. He doesn't underestimate the power of Absalom and the forces which are with him. And we can see that by the way in which he repeatedly uses the word many. We have, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. And then if we go on to verse 6, and I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. In other words, David honestly confronts the seriousness of the situation which he's in. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. His life is on the line. Absalom wants his head. And what we read in this, in going back to 2 Samuel 15, it says, And the conspiracy with Absalom grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And so in face of this opposition, humanly speaking, David feels powerless and has to flee together with his entourage from Jerusalem. But the opposition for David is not only external, for their attacks upon his own very soul. For we read this, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him from God. Now, if we go back to a passage there in 2 Samuel, and now to chapter 16, we find then that there's a man called Shimei. And Shimei was from the house of Saul. He was a Benjamite. And as David and his entourage are making their way, we find then Shimei is, attacks them, as it were, not only with, sto with stones and also verbally. And we read this. Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man! The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And so he went on, ranting and throwing stones at David and his friends. And the question then tonight is this. Are you going through a distressing situation? Perhaps it's not the same, obviously, as David, who was fleeing for his life. But yet, you can, each one of us may well be going through a difficult time at the moment. And we are aware that there's hostility, perhaps, from some quarters. But yet, not only is that, we're also aware that there's also opposition, not only outwardly, but ones from within. For David, there were forces without, and there were fears within. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, says this, It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. So David then had these two attacks, as it were, externally, the forces Absalom, and internally, as it were, these attacks which are coming to make him to doubt. What of you tonight? Are you going through a time of trial? Outside, as it were, you're aware that perhaps there are those who are opposing you. But inside as well, the devil is sowing his lies. That God, as it were, has written you off. 
And so we come to that little word at the end of these two verses. Selah. Selah. Pause. Reflect. Pause for a moment. Think of perhaps your situation. It's real. What you face is real. And what you hear perhaps inside your heart may be real too. It's real too. Pause. But David doesn't leave it there. We go on in the psalm. We come to verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So we began with looking at the problem, but now we come to the situation where we're looking at the Lord. We have this, but you, O Lord. Having looked at the problem, David now emphatically looks to the Lord God. He looks as we're away from the problem and dismisses the doubts and focuses on the Lord. But you, O Lord. How important that little word, but. But you, O Lord. And then David goes on to describe what the Lord has done for him. In other words, he gives a personal testimony of the Lord's experience towards him, what he's experienced of the Lord's care for him. He says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. In other words, not only a shield in front, but a shield all around, total protection. When I was thinking of this statement, my mind went back to the 1960s, the black and, a black and white television advert. And it was an advert for the insurance. And you had this picture of a couple there in a little sort of castle, as it were, and tapping the walls and saying, strong stuff, this insurance. The Lord gave total protection. It was a shield, not just in front, not merely behind or to the side. It encompassed David. But he goes on, my glory and the lifter of my head. In other words, David is saying, you, Lord, lift my head on high. And what a contrast how David left Jerusalem. If we go back then to 2 Samuel 15, we read this. But David went up the ascent of Mount Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. David and those with him left Jerusalem in a condition of shame and sorrow. But now here, David speaks about the Lord lifting up his head, not being bowed down with depression or shame, but lifted up. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. And he continues, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. The Lord answered David's prayer for deliverance. 
If we were to go to the New Testament, I'll just read some verses from the Acts of the Apostles. This is from chapter 4. And the occasion is this. Peter and John had been arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin for a work, a miracle work, which they'd done in healing a lame man. And they proclaimed Christ. They proclaimed Christ. And the Sanhedrin didn't know what to do with them, really. And so eventually they just let them go, but threatened them not to speak in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we take it up then from verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had destined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed with the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they were prayed, had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. They knew, that early church knew it was to face these threats from these Jewish leaders. What did they do? They turned to the Lord and prayed that they would be given boldness to continue to name the name of Christ. And he answered it. And they bold, went out boldly. And the place was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Faith. And so here, in the Old Testament, we have David showing the same faith in the Lord. When I was preparing this, uh, my mind went back to the incident we know since our childhood of David and Goliath. You've got the picture there of Goliath from head to foot in, covered in brass, a formidable enemy. And he raises a challenge, doesn't he, to, to the children of Israel that they are to send out a man, as it were, to, against him. And the idea is that if he defeats their man from the children of Israel, then the children of Israel will be subject to the Philistines. If not, then they will be subject to the children of Israel. Well, what do we read? He said, the men of Israel were greatly afraid and fled from him. Why was that? All they could see was the problem. All they could see was the problem. There's Goliath. And day after day, he's there making his threats. But then David comes on the scene. And what do we read about David? What a contrast. Verse 37 of chapter 17. Read this. David is speaking now to Saul. The Lord... From the paw of the lion and from the bear 
will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then as he confronts Goliath, he says this, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Saul's army, when they saw Goliath, saw just the problem. David saw the mighty God and victory. And then again, of those verses, there's that word, Selah. Pause, think, reflect. Let's go on. Verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. Entitled this section, Sustained by the Lord. Many centuries before, when the children of Israel were being led through the wilderness by Moses, the Lord promised to bless his people for their obedience. And we read this, I will give peace in the land and you shall surely lie down and none shall make you afraid. And David here is able to say, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And if you go on to the next Psalm, to Psalm 4, there, the last verse of that psalm, we read this. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David slept like a baby. He lay down, trusting in the Lord's care, and he awoke to a new day refreshed. The threat from Absalom was still there, but he was able to face it refreshed in the knowledge that the Lord was sustaining him. We go on to Psalm 27 and we read this, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David there, as he were, paints a picture of what it is to be surrounded, a city under siege. My thoughts went then to two kings, and that occasion then went by regarding Elisha. Elisha, the prophet, he knew was by revelation what the king of Syria was about. And so he was able to disclose to the king of Israel uh, where not to go. 
because of danger where the king of Syria's armies were, for example. And so the king of Syria gets fed up with this and he wants to have Elisha dealt with. And so what he does is this, he sends his army to the town where Elisha is, a place called Dothan. And we read this, so he, that's the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with, with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness according to the prayer of Elisha. Seeing the invisible. Elisha saw what that servant hadn't seen until his eyes were opened. The greatness, as it were, of God's army protecting. And so here we have David being sustained by the Lord. And we come to the closing verses then of this psalm. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And so with all this background, David now brings his particular pleas to the Lord. I've got them in terms of commands. If you had a new international version, they'd be put in that form. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. For these pleas which David is bringing are an expression of his faith in the power of the Lord God. And so David is looking to the Lord to deliver him from the forces of Absalom. He's not dependent upon his own military strength. It's quite interesting, in fact, if you were to follow on from those chapters of 15 and 16, we find then in chapter 18 the battle which was fought between the two forces, forces of David and of Joab and the forces of Absalom. And we read this. The battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. The forest devoured more people that day than the sword. In other words, divine intervention. God was at work. Those forces of Absalom were decimated by a miraculous power. David's 
prayer was answered. And so he ends then with that glorious declaration in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Our salvation depends nothing of ourselves. It is all of God's grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We can do nothing to save ourselves. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners in the sight of God. And no matter how much we try, we can never make ourselves right for God. For if you want a standard, the standard which God demands is perfection. Our Lord summarized the Ten Commandments. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. And as we look at that standard, we are all failures. We will never, ever, ever attain them. But one has. One has. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went to Calvary. And there on that cross, he took your sins and my sins. The punishment which was due for us, he took upon himself that we might be brought to God. It's not of us. It's all of God's grace. It's out of love. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world for sinners, that we might be saved, that we might know eternal life. Nothing of man. It's all of God. All we can do is accept what God has given to us. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. It's a gift. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't know who are watching tonight. Only you know your heart before God. But if tonight you know that you're in a position where you are paying lip service, as it were, to God. You're in your heart, you don't know him. Call upon him tonight. Come before him, confess that you're a sinner and in need of God's grace and trust in a saviour who's taken you a place, your sins upon himself, the punishment due for you, that you can come to God. Do it tonight. Salvation belongs to the Lord.